So I'm pretty straight up. Uh, and that line there, whether it's on like a LinkedIn sequence or email, that garners a lot of response. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm super excited to be joined today by Catherine Gerald. Catherine is a second-generation recruiter. She remembers the first day her father opened a recruiting firm. She actually got to skip school at the age of 12 to help set up the office computers. She later rejoined her father's search firm, FPC Portland, in 2015 as an executive recruiter and opened an FPC office in Lake Oswego, Washington. During her tenure at FPC, Catherine was the five-time winner of FPC's Top Recruiter Award. Catherine launched her own firm, L-Ray Search, a firm that's committed to solving the biggest talent needs of the middle market in aerospace, satellite, and defense. Catherine is also a proud member of the Pinnacle Society. Uh, in fact, she was the 2022 Pinnacle Conference speaker, uh, and she's also an active member of SSPI, which is Space and Satellite Professionals International, and the Leading Ladies of Aerospace. Mm-hmm. Sounds intriguing. Mm-hmm. I'm super proud to have Catherine as a client as well. Catherine, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Mark. Big honor. All right. So I, I think you're the first person who I have uh, had on the show where like, you actually got started like a taste of recruiting as a very young person. Could you tell me a little, could you tell that story? I think that might be a fun way to kick things off. Yeah. So my father was my age now. I'm 41 years old. And he'd gotten, uh, well, well, you know, BD, you get fired all the time if you don't make a number. So he'd gotten fired. And I really admire this now that I'm his age too. You know, family to support, two young girls at home. And he's like, you know, I don't want to do corporate America anymore. And I've always liked the search process. So without a whole lot of capital, he dove in, uh, purchased an FPC franchise and leveraged, he'd always been kind of VP in paper, leveraged that background into creating his own firm. Uh, So I was 12 years old when it happened. And actually I have a 12 year old daughter now. Uh, So there's similar parallels. And uh, I think it was like a Monday. They were opening up shop and he looks at me, you know, 6 a.m. in the morning and says, hey, how about coming into the office today? Like a take your daughter to work day. And it was more of a, oh God, can you set up these computers kind of thing. So at the ripe age of 12, that was my first day spent in the office. And uh, all growing up, I spent summers working after school, uh, working in the office uh, to uh, get allowance money. Awesome. Like what kind of stuff when like summer jobs as you were growing up, how much did you like really understand what the business was all about or? You get a taste for it really young in terms of hanging out with recruiters and there's some salty language and we had, you know, this was kind of (laughs) the early days of tech boom and stuff, you know, the uh, putting green in the office. So that, and my father also does talk about the deal when he goes home. I'm not that way at all. That's the last thing I want to talk about. So I was always around it. So you do get a idea and it's usually the, you know, problems that you hear about, but you do get a pretty good idea of what's happening at a young age. That's so cool because, um, I had no clue that the industry even existed until Mm -hmm. I like stumbled into it in my early twenties and I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I grew up. And, uh, I, I knew it was going to be sales related, but, um, you kind of always knew what recruiting was all about, but then you didn't go into it straight away. What did you do after university? Uh, so senior year graduating from undergrad, uh, I said, the last thing I want to do is recruiting. Because <laughs> uh, so I want to do my own thing. So I hopped on a plane. I really didn't couldn't speak French that well. I could read it, but I became an English teacher in the south of France. Uh, did oh, wow, that? That's cool. Yeah, yeah. And then a year later, I came back, and I really hadn't tried to get a job. And so I said, "Hey, Dad, how about that?" And so I spent the next. Yeah, I took a long break, but I spent the next year and a half, two years, um, doing the recruiting. And when you're 22 years old, 
You know, I, I think my first year out, I billed like 320. So wow, that's where else can you make that kind year. of money as a 22 year old though? <laughs> you know, this was a 360 model, that kind of thing. And I was grinding it, but I, obviously I'd had, you know, an education at a very young age too. So uh, that's what gave me the taste for it. And it's the best job in the world. Uh, yeah. It's the, be- do you know, it's the best job and it's the worst job. At, Absolutely. Kind of rolled into one. Um, depending on whether you're doing well or you're not, you know, whether the it's, deal closes or not. It's an emotional roller coaster. I had a great week this week. So I am thinking, oh great. God, how could I ever do anything else? And the reality is mm-hmm. I don't have a fallback plan. I don't have any other skills, you know, I've only ever recruited. So like, this is it. <laughs> well, luckily you're very good at what you do. So, you. um, I'm, I'm, I kind of tempted to find out how you build 320 in your very first rookie year, but um, I, I, on a, on a bigger context, like what's it like working in a family business though? Like, cause is that easier or harder or like what, what was that experience like? Well, if it's all you've ever known, uh, your baseline mm. is a little different. So my father is my best friend in the world today. Um, cool. Yeah, he's the first person I call when anything's great or uh, you know goes wrong. And growing up in the industry, uh, you know, over the past ten years, it hasn't been that. Occasionally, you know, in my twenties when we were just starting out, it'd be like, oh, you know, put the squeeze on to come to family dinner. But reality is, you know, we're so our family is so ingrained. My sister's now my employee. Uh, those kind of cool. things that you just can't really imagine life a different way if you grow up that way. Yeah. Interesting. Because we have some uh, clients whose children are also in recruiting, but they intentionally decided not to work together because they it was better for their relationship. Um, so you've like, has there been a, a, any downside or... Well, I mean, there's always, you know, ups and downs in terms of working with family. Uh, Obviously, you know, if you hire somebody, you can't fire. Uh, That's the biggest reservation about hiring family. Um, You know, it's much more emotionally connected, but who else would you want to spend the day with? You know, I, fortunately I love my family. Uh, yeah. they're fun and funny and salty and we let it fly. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, other, every family dynamics different. So I can't mm-hmm. say it's going to work for everybody. What about like, was there, did you feel more pressure that you had to prove that like you deserved your spot and you weren't just there due to nepotism? Like you were, working in an office with other recruiters who could get fired, did you feel like that added more pressure or? No. Okay. I mean, I'm grateful for the opportunity having had that education and yeah, I, but I think this is just me in general, whether it's family or not. Uh, I am totally motivated by fear and I do not want to mess it up. You know, and like there wasn't really any other great plan B's either. And when you kick tail right out of the gate, it's like, oh, well, I guess I'm good at this. So let's keep rolling. Um, And, you know, in terms of the family nepotism piece, I was in a wonderful position and I am grateful for that. So, you know, maybe it inspired me to not want to mess it up, but uh, that's about it. It's so funny. I think when you say fear of failure, I, I, I think um, I think almost everybody is more motivated by the fear of failure than the desire for success. In fact, this came up recently in a conversation internally. We we fired a new team member, Julie McGrath. She's great. Uh, I love her. Oh, brilliant! We love her too. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that from you. Um, and we were having this whole discussion about like which is a bigger motivator? Is it the desire for the goal or is the fear of, you know, of failure and the consequence of that? And I think for myself, I have a goal that I'm really, you know, super motivated to achieve that I think about every day. And that does motivate me, but I also have been through some really, really tough times and I never, ever, ever want to experience that again. And I think of the two, that's definitely the stronger driver for me. Um, what does your, but 
it sounds like you've been successful all along. Where does where does the fear of failure come from? You know, it's probably one of those things you're maybe even born with. It's always been, you know, mm. uh, a very very big motivator for me. Um, you know, whether it's you know tests in school or whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us have that. I'm trying to think of you know somebody I really admire that doesn't have imposter syndrome, and it's pretty mm. hard. Uh, so I think it's kind of what makes us real. Um, and, you know, there's all the psychology behind gambling and stuff where the losses are way more painful uh, than the wins are pleasurable. And, you know, maybe we're just kind of wired to feel that way. Yeah, um, you could be right. Yeah. You know, as a single mom and, uh, you know, going all in with Delray Surge this year, too. There's no good backup plan. <laughs> like, this is it. Uh, there's no plan B. So failure is just not an option. And it's right. incredibly motivated. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to come on to Elray Search because that's a huge and important uh, piece of your of your story. And it's the current one. It's super exciting. Um, before we get on to that, like... you. Not only did you do well within your firm, but within the whole FPC network, five years being the top recruiter, what do you attribute that to? Could you like give, you know, you must have been asked by other colleagues or you must have analyzed it yourself. What do you think are the keys to your success, Catherine? I'm pausing. (laughs) Um, I mean, the baseline is you got to hustle. And you got to grind. And that most people do not want to work that hard. Um, and we all know the rates of, you know, new hires, even with an awesome new hire. We got, what, maybe a 50-50 shot. They'll get through the first year and be, you know, a good producer. So the mm-hmm. burnout rate is so huge. And I think it's primarily because what we do is hard and particularly like getting started. And God bless FPC because they had killer training, which is like, and this is in the olden days where you actually could do this. You don't make a hundred calls by you know noon, and for me that's like nine a.m. Pacific. Uh, you didn't work today, <laughs> you know. And it was just kind of this like fierce attitude where get on the phone, you know. That was the, the mantra, and in a lot of ways it serves me well because like in the beginning, you know, your heart's pounding as you're trying to talk to a CFO, and you think you're gonna die, and then you do it a few times, and you're like, no, that was fine, or like somebody hangs up, and you're like, no, no big deal. So at a very young age, you get over rejection very quickly. And, you know, a lot of people just struggle with that. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, It's funny. I used to work with a guy who he took, it was a point of pride that if someone hung up on him, he would phone them straight back and say, oh, we seem to have been disconnected. That is hilarious. And just carry right on. I love that. I, I, <laughs> hell, I want to try that now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I appreciate the, the, the work, F, uh, work ethic and just like being willing to work really hard. Um, but that's, that can't be all there is to it because I also have seen recruiters work really hard, but still not get the result. Or let me put it this way. I don't think anybody could work that hard and not do okay. Um, You're going to be an okay recruiter if you put in the effort. Just through sheer effort. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But then like, it doesn't explain the difference between, let's say two recruiters, both working to both doing a lot of dials a day, working all the hours, but then one bills three times more than the other, then there's got to be more to the picture than just working hard. So what else do you think is, you know, uh, attribute, would you attribute your own success to Catherine? I would say it's been really connecting and developing the client side. And Mm -hmm. I figured out early on the money's on the client side. And as um, harsh as it may seem, there is a ton of time spent on the candidate side when they don't pay us any money and most people we can't really help. And so early on, you know, and this is still how I've done, you know, you get on a hot account, build the heck out of it, you know, and become their exclusive recruiter for years. 
and then do it again when that dries up kind of thing. So I was able to, you know, leverage that. And also you got to identify the right accounts too. I only worked the middle market because that's where you can have the biggest impact in terms of the people you place, but also um, that's where you've got direct access to your C team and can provide the most value to them as well, particularly if nobody knows their name. So I think really connecting there. Uh, and one thing that may surprise people is, uh, and actually um, I was talking about this with another person, Pinnacle, this week. Uh, they only hire people that seem extroverted, you know, uh, in terms of their own recruiters. I would not consider myself anywhere on the extroverted scale. And so in my client calls, you know, and with FPC, they, you know, will record them and you can see how much you talk versus them. I'm talking 30% of the time, maybe. <laughs> the other person's talking a Great. lot more than I am. So it's like a true interview. Yes. And if you think of the old, you know, Dale Carnegie, you know, the more you shut up and get the other person talking, the more they like you. So, you know, contrary to popular belief, I think I'm able to leverage, you know, that piece, which is I never have a problem shutting up on a call because uh, it's like, oh God, what am I going to say? So it's more of, you know, that relationship where you're drawing somebody out, you know, almost via an interview. Really interesting um, to hear you say that. So let's explore this a little more because you, what you described is totally logical. Like, uh, connect, get embedded in a hot account that are growing and like really build that uh, account and then just do that over and over. But obviously that's easier said than done. So you mentioned identifying the right account, number one, and you explained the reason you go for the middle market, which all makes total sense. Um, But what is your strategy for um, breaking into and then really developing those accounts? Mm-hmm. So obviously the best way we can get in is via referral. That's always 10 times better. Um, and then there's a million other ways you can get in. You know, the hardest is anything cold, you know, whether it's a email campaign or calling up in the cold call and, you know, coming back, those type of things. Obviously, you know, I'm in your coaching program where you've got the LinkedIn lead generation, those pieces too. So you know, really pointing to anybody in that network and, you know, advocating for that relationship or having somebody, you know, give that testimonial. Uh, that's how you build that relationship. And, you know, I don't do the ad chase campaign stuff ever because uh, I don't want to position myself as transactional either. Um, and a lot of times, you know, for, you know, I'm thinking at Pinnacle, a top big billers, you know, the network and flip strategy where you're actually working a search and then, uh, you know, it's a high enough level, you know, they're VPs you're talking to kind of thing. And it's always about, hey, how can I help you? You know, tell me about your growth plans. Uh, and that can segue really nicely into that first search. Let's double click on that, Catherine, because I think that is so smart. And yet a lot of recruiters um, ignored that opportunity. And what I mean by that is <clears throat> recruiters often have blinkers on and they're either doing BD or they're recruiting, but they don't blend both on the same, with the same person or, or on the same call. And there is kind of an art to doing that. Um, but, you know, it's just, first of all, realizing that the candidates and clients are the same person on different days. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, why not squeeze the juice out of every conversation? It's hard to get a decision maker on the phone, whether you're recruiting them or, you know, or, or selling to them. But it's a lot easier if you're recruiting, <laughs> you know, if, if there's something in it okay, for me. That's a good insight. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So They're way more likely into, to respond if it's like, oh, right, you've got right. a job for me, you know? Yeah. Good, good point. Are you worried about keeping your recruitment firm up to date with the latest technology? After all, your clients expect you to be ahead of the curve. But how do you select the right tech for your recruitment firm and make sure that you earn enough new business as a direct result to make back the cost of your investment? Which is why our friends at iIntro provide in-depth coaching alongside their technology to help you get the most out of your investment. 
They offer an extensive suite of tools, but let's just take one example, their behavioral assessment tool. It's built right into their online system, so you don't have to buy or learn a whole new platform. They also include training on how to use behavioral assessments to improve your pitching technique, while also increasing the longevity of your placements to a staggering 96% after 12 months. For a free demo of iIntro's suite of recruitment tools, including behavioral assessment, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Remember, when you engage with our sponsors, you also help support this podcast. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained, then follow the instructions to get started. By the way, folks, I've got a free ebook on my website. If you go to recruitmentcoach.com, it's seven ways to get new clients fast. And one of those strategies is uh, flip your recruiting calls. So it's, it is a tried and tested strategy. Some people are better at it than others. I think, Catherine, you are uh, the queen of this strategy. So yeah, it's easier to get people to respond if you're approaching them about their own career development and you've got something for them rather than you're selling to them. You're trying to get them to buy your services, right? So, And like going um, along with go that, my pitch even on a job, it's never really mm-hmm. about the job. It's, hey, you know, what would be better than what you're doing today? You know, what type of opportunities do you want to hear about? Obviously, you know, I'm working on a search that, you know, you lined up for. Tell me what you want to do. So I draw that out before I ever dive in into the pitch I'm working on because eight times out of 10, I can tell they're not right for that by their responses. And then you can say, hey, I was going to pitch this to you, but it's not going to line up. Tell me about your top five target companies. And then, you know, as it segues into it, well, hey, uh, you know, how's your team looking? Um, Let me know if I can help you. What's on your radar? So it's really, you know, more of a relationship call uh, than Mm. transactional yes, no, pitch me one thing. Love it. So when you're approaching people, you you're not so much pitching a job as you're selling the conversation, like, or is it a hybrid? Like I have something for you and I also want to find out, you know, your career goals and tell you what I'm seeing in the market or like how, how are you, um, how are you framing that call to get someone to the phone? Uh, I don't think you can pitch a hybrid. It comes to me, it comes across a little squirrely, like, mm, what do they really want to talk about? So I'm pretty straight up. Um, you know, on the initial approach. And then obviously once you're talking, then you can go there. I will say though, that uh, obviously we've been working on some of the client email campaigns too. And the most effective line that I include now on my client email campaigns for, you know, a BD call is, and it's not always on the first one. It could be on the like third sequence. P.S. Alternatively, if you find yourself, you know, wanting to know about market conditions and considering a move, would definitely welcome a chance to chat. You know, it's a little more crisp than that, but that, that's the gist. Uh, and that line there, whether it's on like a LinkedIn sequence or email, um, that garners a lot of response. And I've been clear up till then, you know, hey, I'm, you know, looking at working with companies like yours, you know, those type of points. Love it. As that's a golden nugget right there, Catherine. And so you're getting people to the call because they are interested in what you can offer them in terms of, you know, their next opportunity. Um, and the, the other amazing thing that I see is here's what you do. And I find the top pillars are really good at connecting all the dots. And what I mean by that is like just the other day we were doing a, a coaching call in our program and there was a couple of recruiters in there who were, and these, by the way, these are smart people, successful people. And they had completed some high level searches and now they're looking for new business. We're looking for their next search. And I said, have you gone back to the candidates that either weren't interested in the job or who you weren't able to place that you've just been, you know, the people you've just been recruiting, have you gone back to mm-hmm. them, uh, you know, uh, to see if you can help them build their teams? And they hadn't. Mm-hmm. And to me, like, that's just, that's that's a no-brainer, right? These, you already have the relationship. They already know who you are. 
they've already had an experience of you. Like there's your next uh, business development list right there. Absolutely. No, I'm super excited about a search I'm kicking off next week through that exact same channel. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, So Catherine, we've got working your socks off. We've got um, uh, starting relationships with really um, great accounts. But then how do you build on those accounts? Because I think this is something I'm not great at. I was, I'm a hunter. I'm good at opening new accounts. That's the hardest. The people that have worked with you, you know, that's the low hanging fruit. I know. I, it, of course it is, but I just was never that great at it. So how do you do it? So like the most easy tactical way to do it is set up a sequence in whatever ATS you're using. I use Crelate. And do the, you know, schedule the candidate and client check-in post-placement. And so my sequence, the cadence is more frequent until they start, like once a week till they start, then two weeks, then uh, usually a month, three months, six months, 12 months. And after 12 months, I know whether the candidate's going to give me a job or not, (laughs) or if I'm ever going to, you know, get a referral off them. So by then you either put them into a, you know, annual check-in or you don't. Um, and the same thing can go with the client, although I, you know, don't do that quite as frequently, but the touch points are usually just a flip text. Hey, how's, you know, first week going, congrats on one month. How are things? So you're staying really close that way as well. And then, you know, there's all sorts of just casual ways you can touch in, whether it's on LinkedIn or ask for advice on another surge. I mean, people that you've already worked with love you. And at any point, um, you know, if you call them, they pick up the phone, you can say, hey, how's the team going? Uh, Yeah, I know we did a BD search together, but I've been doing more finance stuff than anything else. Uh, Notice a job posting. Is that something you guys are still looking for? You know, and that doesn't come across salesy. And then you're trying to get them to flip you into the hiring manager. Um, And so many times, you know, then out of that is like, oh, yeah, no, I'd love to, you know, see if I can help. Uh, If I forward you just my contact info, would you be willing to flip that? I love it. So you're really staying close to both the place candidates and the clients. Um, and that cadence that you described is actually, I, that's really interesting because that's very structured and, and, and planned out in, in advance. So, well, with our ATSs, it's a lot easier to schedule it and then forget about it, you know, one time yeah. than try to remember, uh, cause I don't do that. That's awesome. So could you repeat the, the, the cadence? So it's like, weekly when they first start? Uh, well, first you got to get go them to there? start, right? So, right. Yeah. <laughs> so like after they sign three to five yeah. days later, it's the, Hey, how's onboarding going? And then, uh, you know, assuming you don't have a big lag time, you know, it's two days because we know they're going to most likely take the counter offer the second day before they leave. So I always put that mm. on the calendar, just, you know, text or something. And then usually first or second day, it's, hey, congrats on the first day. How are things going? Um, sometimes I'll switch it to first month if I'm a little worried about the counter or some competing stuff. I'll go one week after as well. And, you know, it's truly authentic. I want to know if they're going to be kicking tail on their new role or hate it. And it's at those points, too, where if there's a problem, you can kind of alert the hiring manager as well. Um Got one time though, I had a guy that got COVID like his first week at work. <laughs> that was that was something new I hadn't dealt oh, with. No. Uh, and everybody was cool, but I, you know, it was uh, it spread everywhere through the office. And uh, his boss was like, "Oh God, get out of the office, go home," you know, kind of thing. So uh, that that was a nuance <laughs> oh, no. to that pattern. But all, obviously, you're like, "Hey, how you feeling?" The hiring manager too. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. I um, I think sometimes recruiters don't want to know, or they're scared that. Maybe, you know, they place someone and then they're like, you know, they almost don't want to know if there's a problem. But I think if there is an issue, I'd rather know about it first. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I don't want to hear about it when the client says, hey, by the way, Mark, your your candidates, um, you know, bumped out. They didn't stick. And I'm like, oh, shoot, that's uh, because if you are aware of it. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's what exactly, everybody's wondering. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But I will, you know, you um, do this a long enough time though, and that conversation happens. But if you're checking in, you're the first one they call when even after 10 months, they're like, yeah, she's not working out. They don't want their money back. They just want you to fill it again. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. So exactly. You've just created an opportunity for yourself. Um, but are you doing stuff like, you know, taking people golfing or like meeting in person or like, is there any extra, apart from just keeping really close to them and being in touch, is there anything else that you're doing to try and develop those relationships? Uh, so if you're asking about in-person meetings, that is something I don't do. I would love oh, to do it. Um, mm-hmm. I happen to live in the dead center of Washington state and truly our nearest airport is like a three hour drive to Seattle. We wow. got one okay. flight coming in and out of this little tiny town daily. So geographically I'm screwed. And then as a female single mom, you know, trying to pull it together and everything, it's just, it's a struggle to get anywhere. Uh, so I don't do that. I'd love to, if my lifestyle were a little bit different. Um, but in terms of, you know, really going above and beyond, I would say, you know, it's more authentic, like with our friends, I text everybody and text my hiring managers, you know, those type of things. But, um, I think that's probably, you know, I don't think I'm anything doing anything that different. Um, you know, I see a birthday thing, you wish them happy birthday. I mean, just going into the relationship with like, Hey, this is going to be long-term and, you know, authentic. And like, if I see they made a move or something, I'll text them, not ping them on LinkedIn as well. So, I mean, that's probably the only differentiator. Do you know what I'm, I'm thinking, Catherine, a lot of the, the key differentiator is the nuance and it's quite subtle. Like the already you describing the way that you flip your recruiting calls. Um, and you know, there's just some nuances involved that, uh, that you, that allows you to get better results to somebody who is basically doing the same thing, but they're really not. You're getting another level deep, I think. Um, so it's interesting. So apart from building those accounts, what else do you think has been a key factor in your success? I am a big fan of the commitment fee. <laughs> and I Tell got burned more. out so bad on mm. contingent searches where there's no relationship. And, you know, if your whole for me, you know, differentiator is, hey, let's build this long-term thing and, you know, network together. And it just doesn't work in these, you know, race to completion uh, kind of setups. So since I launched Elray, I've not taken on a contingent search. Um, it's not Good to say like I would never consider it, but it's usually just like, you know, Hey, here's how I work. And yeah, if somebody pops up, I'm happy to give you a call, but we all know that like happens never (laughs) uh, in terms of, you know, senior level searches. So that was one big change that had huge impacts. Well, let's talk more about that. But then first, maybe we'd better, um, tell the story of launching your own firm because that is the yes. that's the most exciting and recent chapter in your in your story. Yeah, so I grew up in the whole FPC franchise. They're like family, known the guys there since I was 12. And I always kind of assumed I'd buy my father out, you know. He looks great. He is 69 years old. He looks he sounds on the phone like he's 40, but um, you know, I, that's what I thought would happen. And then I've got like the worst divorce ever. Um, took three years to get through. It was an absolute oh. nightmare. One of those things you just do not wish upon your worst enemy. And so it became super clear that I could never, and I live five hours from that office, I could never move there um, You know, for the next 10 years kind of thing. So then you accept like, okay, geographically, I am not where I want to be. And again, this is all like when COVID hits. So right about then, I started seeing, particularly in Pinnacle, people having these awesome firms that were totally virtual. I think Alan Fisher is like one of the people that really proved, yeah. wow, you can kick tail and nobody has to come into the office. 
So I was hugely- Shout out to Alan, by the way. Yeah. That's, uh, my interview with him is fantastic. So people should check that one out. Oh, um, he is a what class a act. Yes. Yeah. And he's so generous with his time too. I, yeah. Class act. The best. So I decided, you know, hey, I can't move to Portland. And my niche is aerospace and defense. And that's not my father's or anybody else's in the firm. So I had to do that really hard call with your dad. That's like, um, dad, <laughs> I don't think I want to do this. And what I really want to do is why? Um, and that was tough because he's my best friend. So we worked it all out and, you know, everything came out rosy. And um, I launched officially April. April 1 this year. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. It's, uh, I just hired it's my third employee. Fantastic. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I can see how that was a, a, a difficult and, and so cool that you've got your dad's full support and it's, um, you know, you're still... Yeah, and we went into friends. it because, I mean, this thing can... These type of things, anytime a recruiter, top producer leaves... They can just wreck a firm in terms of just the legal, the mindset, everything. And so both of us went into the exit with, okay, the most important thing to us is this relationship. And uh, yeah, I think on both sides, we were, you know, very open. And it's like, oh, if I lose a little money here or there, you know, X, Y, Z, um, you know, let's do what's right. So that worked out well. Awesome. I'm really happy for you. So, uh, so launched April first, and off to a like a flying start. And we've had an awesome like first quarter here. Like, uh, yeah, I'm quite hopeful. I'm very pleased. So, did did you have a lot of momentum? Like, were you bringing momentum into your launch from? just what you were already working on? Because you're in the same niche. You, yeah. you already, you're very well established in right. that market. I was, yeah, you know, you hear about certain people that never knew how to recruit, launching a firm at six months of the first placement. Fortunately, I was not in that position. Um, so yes, you can, you know, and just knowing the industry and all the players and having done it since 2015, um, you, you can hit a running start. And there's also confidence there too. Yeah. Fantastic. And uh, so one of the th shifts that you've made is you've not done any contingent searches since you launched. So tell me about your thought process. Around and by the way, I'm 100% uh, a believer in that. I, um, I hate contingency uh, recruiting for, and, and it did not work for me. I, I moved to Retain. I was wasn't one hundred percent retained, but I was probably fifty fifty. But I was moving in that direction because, well, I'm sure all the reasons everybody listening can think of that where you put your heart and soul into a process, and then for reasons totally outside your control, the rug gets pulled out from underneath you. And that happened enough times that I was like. I've had it. I'm not doing this. I need to get paid up front. It's frustrating. Um, so frustrating. And it's, but, and people tell me, like sometimes people make the counter argument and they say, oh yeah, but I'm really good and, and I'm better than my competition. So I'm confident. Like, you know, competitors, you know, no problem. I'm going to beat the competition. But what about the time when the client says, oh, um, hey, Mark, you know that search you've been working on for the last three or four weeks? Um, we, we changed our mind. We're going to go in a different direction uh, or I know oh, hey, it's happened to hey, everybody. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or it's Hey, we're just, we, we just acquired a business and, and there's, we're actually going to have, we're going to be merging. So we don't need this role anymore mm -hmm. or like 101 different things that can happen that have nothing to do with your performance. You performed well, maybe you did beat the competition, but you still don't get paid. That just drives me bananas. So <laughs> I, I know we've all been there. I know exactly what it feels like. Yeah. Mm. So uh, tell me about your approach to engage search then, because I think you're, is it like a, a, an engagement fee and then the balance or is yeah. it a third, a third, a third or? Okay. So, you know, there's like a few celebrities. I grew up 
since I was 12, hearing the names of big trainers, you know, Cahill and Bartos. Yeah. And the first time I met Cahill yeah. was like super, super celebrity. So I have never met John Bartos, but I have heard, and I like watched it on repeat when I was first starting. And you get to a point where you're just like wringing your hands because you, it's like one too many, just gone belly up and you had no, you know, there's no reason that you could control for why. Oh, we're not going to do that anymore. So you get to a point where you're like, okay, enough's enough. We got to do something else. So I listened to this tape he did. And he's, you know, quite fiery and cool about committed searches. And I was like, you know, yeah, I'm going to do that same thing. And I didn't really have the confidence then to ask for it. And I mean, if you're scrambling for jobs and are like so grateful somebody will give you a contingent job, you don't have the right mindset to ask for a committed search. hundred percent. Yeah. Like, and the only way to get over it is to just start doing it, you know, and then your bar changes and, you know, your measure of a good surge goes way up. Um, so, you know, changing that bar as quickly as possible is, uh, you know, a huge help in terms of asking for him. So namely, I, I don't even know if he still does this. This is probably like 10 years ago that I'd heard this script, but I still use it every day. Um, and it's namely, you know, Hey, here's how we work, uh, to get things kicked off. And I have, you know, cool screenshots and client portals and I do video for first interviews. So there's a lot I can sell around that engagement, but you know, it's, here's how we work. Uh, we ask for 10 grand to kick things off. Uh, what you expect from me is weekly calls. We do a video chat and we'll record them so I can share them with my team as well. Um, and our, you know, then I explain our fee structure as well. And here's the piece that some people like won't agree with me on. I make it so damn easy for them to say yes. You know, you got all the bells and whistles. Hey, I'm going to do your first interview for you. Just tell me what questions you want me to ask. You can watch on video when you're on the airplane, you know, sell the heck out of it. And then I say, Hey, if you're not happy with what we're doing after three weeks, I'll give you your 10 grand back. Guess how many people have asked for it back? How many, Catherine? Zero. Like, it just does (laughs) not happen. But what it tells me, because I have had people like hem and haw about it, and it's like too good to pass up. You know, pretty much I will work for free for three weeks and just need your time and a symbol of your commitment in the form of a check. And if they say no to that, then you know you have no exclusivity or loyalty. And, you know, they're probably not that serious about the search. Have you ever dreamed of launching, scaling, and one day selling your recruitment business? If so, I highly recommend you speak to Recruitment Entrepreneur. Founded by former Dragon's Den star James Kahn, Recruitment Entrepreneur is the world's leading private equity firm specifically focused on the recruitment industry. They invest in startups and scale-ups and have already backed over 30 founders. There's no reason why you couldn't be their next joint venture partner. James's first company, Alexander Mann, sold in 2013 for $260 million. His second venture, Humana International, he grew with Doug Bugie to over 140 offices in 30 countries before selling to MRI. James and his team are actively looking for ambitious recruiters from across the United States and around the world who want to partner with them to launch and scale successful recruitment businesses. They provide the funding, expertise, mentoring, and back office support to make your dream a reality. To learn more about Recruitment Entrepreneur in the USA or anywhere globally, go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC as in venture capital. Book a discovery call with them and be sure to tell them that you were sent by Mark Whitby in the Resilient Recruiter podcast. Once again, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. So first of all, Catherine, thanks for sharing your script. That is brilliant. And hey, shout out to John Bartos, uh, who I who I know I've not spoken to for a, for a while. I've never met so, him. John, he's a good guy. Um, I had him twice. I I used to do this virtual summit. This is even before webinars. It was like a teleseminar. If anyone even knows what that is, no. this is ten years ago. It's like a telephone conference. There's no oh, that sounds video. fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure it was not. a real hit there, Mark. <laughs> it was, guys. It wasn't really. It or not. Okay, I'm kidding. It's, um, mm-hmm. So I did this for five years, this virtual summit called Big Biller Summit. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I got all the other trainers and all the other speakers to come and deliver presentations. Um, and you c- could only listen to them. Like it was purely 
there was no s- slides. There was no video. You just had to dial in to a, a conference call mm-hmm. and listen to the trainer. And they had to captivate you just with their words. Um, in our industry, and, we've got good voices. I mean, beautiful voices. Well, you do anyway. <laughs> um, and uh, so I did this for five years in a row. And every year I got anywhere from three to four and a half thousand recruiters to dial into this Wow. Thing. That's a lot. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so John spoke, in fact, I think it was three or four years in a row that John spoke for me. And, and that was one of his presentations was about getting the mutually committed search. And um, yeah, he's, he's, he's great on that. So, but the interesting thing that you're doing is making the offer so good that they would have, they would feel stupid to say no. And um, I read a book recently by a guy called Alex Hormozy. Have you heard of this guy? No, <laughs> do tell. Oh, he's all, he's yeah, he's huge on YouTube. Uh, his it's H O R M O Z I or Z I. You would mm-hmm. say um, his book is called Hundred Million Dollar Offers, and the idea is like if you want to build a hundred million dollar business, the most important thing you need to get right is your offer, and your offer is essentially like what you are delivering to the customer that they are buying into. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you, you need to craft an offer that is irresistible, that the client can't say no to, uh, and that has a high value, it's better. Like you can charge a premium way more than your competitors are charging. If you have an offer that is just so valuable that, you know, there's no comparison, And uh, that's the idea is that you like add elements to your offer that make it really hard. You use the word, you make it hard for them to say no to. And the, the thing that you're doing is called risk reversal. So risk reversal means that. That's totally what I was going to (laughs) say. Exactly. Aren't you a psychology major? (laughs) It's coming out. (laughs) So risk reversal is the buyer typically in a, in a transaction, the buyer perceives that they are at, they're the one taking the bigger risk rather than the seller. Sure. Right. And so in order to win them over, you need to reverse that so that they feel that actually you're the one who's taking at least an equal risk, uh, if not a greater risk, and that they really don't have much to lose by moving forward. And um, it, of course, then you have to deliver. But assuming you do deliver, then your actual risk of having to repay the deposit in this case is pretty low. And even if occasionally you have to give someone their 10 grand back, uh, the number of engaged searches that you've won on the back of that irresistible offer by far outweighs the, you know, the, the once in a blue moon that you would have had to pay it back. Which for me is never. That's the rationale, which never exactly. So Mm -hmm. it just goes to show. So I think that is brilliant, Catherine. You had something you wanted to add to that? Oh, I think you can also do it with like new clients in your fate. Like if, your average fee is 60 grand and they're asking mm-hmm. for like an advisor role or something more junior than you do those kind of things you can be like okay so candidly our average fee is 60 grand i know mm-hmm. you're still starting up and growing you know burn rate's a huge deal um this is what i can do uh by doing that though you know namely i'm hoping that you know we have an awesome relationship and that I can help you build that team. Uh, so I think even just setting that metric of, hey, this is our normal sales process. And yeah, I'll work a search that's a fraction of my normal fee because I want you to be successful and I want to build your team with you. I love how you set that up. Like you pre-frame it right at the start that that's the expectation. Um, when you say, if I do this for you, what is this? Is it the search. a discount? Yeah. I, I don't discount or... really, but uh, certain searches, you know, if you get a high average fee and they want you to work, at, you know, whether it's a contract gig, which I, again, I don't really do contract, but, you know, for your mm-hmm. best clients, I have um, those kind of things. 
uh, sometimes an advisor surge or just where you know the fee is going to be, you know, a fraction of what your normal fee is. Um, and I wouldn't put a ton of work into that kind of stuff. But it, it, even in like the whole PE world, if you do a solid for somebody, it's going to come back to you. And so I, it's not a discount by any means, but it's just a search outside of your normal parameters. Got and you're it. doing that okay. with the hope of building a team and helping them be like successful. It. Yeah. Awesome. That sounds that sounds great. And uh, so so far, all your searches have been engaged. And um, but I'm fascinated that you're already you've just hired your third person, and you're in. Well, you kind of kicked me in the rear on that one. <laughs> I think that was in Leanne. Your month two. <laughs> yes, yeah, it was probably Leanne. Yes, so, it was Leanne. Tell me about um, that thought process. Um. So. I had grown up in the 360 model where you're doing everything. And in a lot of ways, you know, 360 training, you go to two weeks of it and then it's like, okay, figure it out. You know, are you going to be good or not? Uh, And again, this is kind of the olden days. So now everything's changed. And I think in a really good way, because I just started to hate the 360 model. And it's like, once you start achieving a certain level of success, and I know a couple people that are million dollar recruiters that can do that, but it's like, you really look at those top billers, you know, like 2 million production plus, they're on the BD side, you know, and yes, they've done candidate delivery before, but they're really bringing in the business and you've got the delivery side working it out. So I love, you had Prion here, and I know him and think the world of him, where he does like a really defined three-person approach, you know, in terms of these pods where you've got your sourcer, your can delivery, your BD. So I'm setting up a firm that's not going to be a 360. And as we evolve, you know, I can plan out exactly how I think things are going to go, but then the reality of what we're good at, you know, sets in and the process as well. So it's evolving. Uh, But my plan is I've got the best thing I ever did was uh, hired my sister, who's amazing. And she's my older sister. So she'll call me at 5am and tell me, you got to look at this because he's not on the call, you know, that kind of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) She's wonderful. She does all the scheduling, which is what I hate the most. That and all my bookkeeping. And then... uh, I've, What's your sister called? Her name's Christina. Christina. Yes. All right. Shout out She's to Christina. Lead admin. Yeah. And she kicks tail. I mean, imagine never having to like touch and pay an invoice during the day. Like that's wonderful. And like handling all of that piece. And then even I set up all my calls because I want the control with the client and the hiring. There's so many dynamics, you know, when you're working with VP level searches and it can take two hours out of your day and it's just a waste of time and it'll change on you. So that was the first thing I started to not do. And then I've got um, an awesome sourcing specialist in the Philippines, Ada, uh, who pretty much does the everything else bucket in terms of marketing and you know database and all of the admin pieces. And then obviously right now I'm doing both BD and candidate delivery. However, my new recruit who starts Tuesday uh, is Yogi. And I'm super excited. A lot of people in Pinnacle have met him before because we bumped into him in San Diego. Actually, when I saw you last month, he was one of those people that just had some pop and you're like, ah, you'd be good. So he starts Tuesday and he'll be on our candidate delivery side to start. Amazing. Um, Catherine, this is going to have to be like part one of a, of a, of a series, I think, because like there's so much more we could talk about, but could you tell the story of finding Yogi? Cause it was really cool. What you, how that came about. Yeah. So last month, the you know Pinnacle had our semi-annual meeting it was in San Diego. Um, We'd put on uh, outreach on the Midway, which is their big, you know, aircraft carrier museum, and worked with the transitioning veterans group because we were, you know, supporting that. And wait, 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 Just slow down a second because I think you may lose some folks. Okay. Who are like, what is she talking? about? I wasn't about? So there. What all, is she talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so outreach. Explain yes. that because that's actually is that. Are you in charge of outreach at Pinnacle? No, Jeremy is. is. No. Yeah, oh, Jeremy, Jeremy? Sizemore. Okay. Yeah, he's uh, all right, our but he board. roped you in. Yeah, well, I had a personal interest. So the location was San Diego. And then outreach is a committee in Pinnacle. 
where every time we go to a new city, we do a project to support, you know, local, whether it's, you know, packing food in boxes or, you know, helping out at one of the shelters, et cetera. Uh, so when I heard we're going to San Diego, I said, well, I'm happy to help on the research because obviously big naval town. Uh, so I really uh, wanted to reach out to a transitioning veterans group, you know, if you can work with them. And so we partnered with Reboot, uh, which is the transitioning veterans group in San Diego there. And we're able to go on the Midway, which is, uh, you know, amazing museum, if you haven't seen there before, on board an aircraft carrier right downtown in the harbor. Um, so they wanted career advice and they told us exactly what it was on. Um, and I was moderating the panel and a bunch of political members were there. Um, it was super fun. And so fast forward to like three weeks later, I just have two bad interviews and 200 Indeed resumes for a remote recruiter, which I'm hiring. And I call up my dad. I'm like, ah. and I even recorded one. And I'm like, this guy just never shuts up. You know, it's like he talked 80% of the time on a candidate screen and he's been doing this for five years. I'm like, I don't know. And dad's like, you know, what you really need, because you're an Andy, is this is your dad telling you, oh, what you really need. And right with there, I'm like, okay, are you sure? All right, tell me, tell me what I need, dad. And he goes, you need somebody that's like been in the service that's coming out because they're going to gain, you know, a lot more traction. They're going to know the industry better. I wouldn't, you know, worry about bachelor's or master's or any of those things. You need somebody with some pop that's coming out of the military. He's like, how about that guy in the video? Because <laughs> Pinnacle did an awesome video. And once you say that, like anybody who was there goes, oh, yeah, I remember him. Um, so he definitely came across and he actually hosts podcasts, you know, in a spare time kind of thing as well. Uh, cool. So really good, you know, charismatic, uh, you know, feature. And so I called him up and I said, great idea, dad. <laughs> and? And he's starting Tuesday. All right. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I love that you've, I love how that all just serendipitously came together, but also you recognize that um, attitude and personality and mindset is so much more important than having recruiting experience. Um, you know, someone can have five years experience on their resume. That doesn't mean they're actually good, right? Right, right. And I live near, you know, Amazon Meta where they just did a ton of layoffs on their TA. So you got, you know, a lot of resumes, but then you actually just say, okay, let's do a candidate screen. And I did that with Yogi. He had no idea what a candidate screen was ever. And he did like by far the best. Wow. So he outperformed the experienced recruiters. By a role play. mile in the role play. When you video it, it's wow. like, oh, and he had no idea. He's like, okay, so who are you and what am I? Uh, okay. But it was just this <laughs> mindset of yeah. how do you approach somebody else? How do you draw them out? You know, get them talking, those type of things. So, yeah. you know, and my style is really, you know, the last thing we're going to do is make a hard pitch. You know, eh, if you need me, I need you. Maybe the time is not right, X, Y, Z. But it's really, he he got that without even, you know, me needing to direct him. So that was what was a big differentiator. Awesome. All right. Well, congrats on your third you. fantastic hire. But I'm curious, like, could you say a little more about that last point? You kind of just threw it in there, but I think that's a, that's a, a, a potential golden nugget. When you say you don't give a hard pitch, but and you kind of skimmed over. Could you mm -hmm. elaborate on that? Yeah. And it's always been my style. And then actually when I was pledging uh, Pinnacle, they had a speaker, Josh Braun, that was brought in. And so he's king of the, I'm not going to sell you emails. Um, so I got more curious. Oh, of, I'm you on know, his uh, email list. I know. Yeah. I get I him to all him. the time. I, yeah, yeah. 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 He came to yeah my pledge class when I was, uh, yeah, West Wes Ashworth and I were pledging that day. Um, Shout out to Wes. Yeah, yeah, we both got in. <laughs> so the whole like premise is nobody likes a hard sell anymore. And this is mm -hmm. totally contradictory to what we, you know, how it was taught 20 years ago, where you're mm -hmm. trying to say, hey, can I accept on your behalf? That doesn't work anymore. <laughs> like we've had too much, you know, sales in our face. We have too much media for that to work at all. Like the strong arm approach 
does not work. It's all about attraction rather than promotion. And so like when you're doing a candidate screen, I'm like covering up the job almost. It's not like I'm hiding it and we'll get there, but it's like, first let's dive in and tell me, you know, why you took my call. Uh, you know, I really liked X about you. What prompted you to respond? You know, those type of questions, um, because you know, how, how do you even know if you want this person to be a candidate unless they start talking and building that relationship too? Yeah. And I tell them, Hey, I'm, I'm never going to try to talk you into something. At the end of the day, you're always going to do what's best for you and your family. And everybody should understand that. And if they don't, they don't have the right intentions. Love it. That's a really great, it's a, it's a great mindset, but it's also a nice verbiage to present to somebody. Um, I think that's, yeah, that is brilliant. Well, it's true. It's like, yes, we yeah. can, we try to control everything, but there's a whole lot of things that are not within our control. And that's what the commitment fee is about. We try to control and mitigate some of these uncontrollable things. And, you know, at the end of the day, there is nothing I am going to say that is going to truly, you know, be that game changer. Like if they're going to take the counter, the end of the day, they're going to do it. You know, let's find out earlier than later. Fantastic. Catherine, this has been awesome. I really enjoyed uh, getting a chance to do this. And and I I loved having dinner with you when we were in San Diego together. Yes. And uh, so fun. that was fun. But um, this was awesome. I really appreciate it. I'm honored. Thank you, Mark. And for what you do for our thanks. community. Oh, thanks, Catherine. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you for listening. Just before you go, let me ask you one question. Who in your network would make a great guest on the Resilient Recruiter podcast? I'm always on the lookout for interesting people to interview. Recruitment entrepreneurs who embody the ethos of the Resilient Recruiter. If you're a regular listener, you'll know the kind of person I'm looking for. Ordinary men and women who've achieved extraordinary things. Specifically, I'm looking for someone with a great story to tell, someone who's overcome adversity in pursuit of their goals, and who's open to sharing their own mistakes and learning experiences with our listeners. In the words of previous guests, John Coxon and Alex Elliott, I'm looking for someone with humble confidence. They could be a top producing solo or independent recruiter or the owner of a fast growing firm. Maybe that person is you. Or maybe it's someone you know. Send me your recommendations, mark at recruitmentcoach.com, or feel free to nominate yourself. And if you think you meet the criteria I've just outlined, I'd love to hear from you. Once again, it's mark at recruitmentcoach.com. Remember to hit subscribe, and I'll see you next time.